Hello, everybody. Welcome to this emergency Green Pole podcast in the aftermath of uh, Manchester City 5, Fulham 1. Uh, I'm Dan Crawford, the editor of Hamian, currently making my way back to London at some speed in a car driven by Manchester City fans who promised to be quiet. While I talk to my good friend Alan Druitt about what happened at the Etihad Stadium and, of course, um, the sad passing of former Fulham chairman Mohamed Al-Fayed announced, well, uh, that, that, that uh, came through yesterday. Al, um, not the result we were hoping for. Um, we'll get into it. How are you, my friend? Um, I'm all right, thanks, Dan. I'm not surprised by the result, to be honest. You see no Paulinia. Um, I think we said last night that if Paulinia is in the squad, it, the defeat isn't as bad as it would be. He wasn't. Um, but yeah, we take on the chin. We'll probably get into the fact that we were mistreated again by the officials for the fourth game running by the looks of things. So it probably are things to come. I mean... A sign of things to come. I mean, I, yeah, but I was proud of the boys today for how they went and attacked Manchester City. And what it reminded me of, reminded me of rather, was the FA Cup game at the Etihad. You went on 93-20 um, with Howard. Uh, I think that was on Thursday, but they, you know, being Manchester City fans, they haven't cracked all the technology yet, so they can't do it live. Um, they had to do it. Uh, it went out yesterday. And... You you were talking about how often we came up against them in the cup competitions and got battered. And do you remember that game in Silva's first season where Fabio scored a goal, Fabio Carvalho scored a goal quite early? And we were in the game until half-time. And then City turned it on in the second half. And this was very, very similar. Um, so I guess, should we get straight into it then, mate? I mean... We we talked about it. Would Palinia play? I think it was always a pipe dream. You know, I'm I'm an optimist, mate. Um, when you saw the team sheet, what were you saying? Yeah, when I saw that team sheet, we sort of half expected no Paulinia. Uh, he didn't fly back till last night. Um, and before the game, Silva come out and said he's not in the right headspace, which is completely understandable. You know, he's got his heart set on that move now. Uh, I thought the comments after the game were brilliant from Silva, but that team news. Sorry, they no were. Or they weren't brilliant. They they were. Um, yeah. He, he's yeah. I mean, we're we're very. Start, lucky let's to have start him. there because we can jump all around. So Silva says, and let's do what I normally do and try and bring it up, mate. Because you know, people maybe uh, won't have heard it yet. Um. He obviously gave the comments explaining why Polina hadn't been selected. And then after the game, he said it was a tough day for him. Definitely probably one of the toughest days of his life. He loves Fulham. He loves football. He loves to be with us. He had the fantastic season last season. He's always a player that gives 110%, 100% sorry, for the shirt. But he had a big chance to go to one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he was really close to to, to the transfer. You can imagine the impact that has on a football player when these type of things happen. He's going to need support from all of us, the coaching staff, our fans and his teammates. Um, and I think we'll give him that support, Alan, won't we? Of course we will. We all, we all understand even more so now just how valuable he is to us. And I like to think our fan base, we're not deluded. 
we're not asking for too much. We just ask for a player to turn up on a Saturday afternoon and, and give 100%. And Paulini has always done that. He will continue to do that, whether that's up until January or the end of the season. But he, I'm sure he, he understands that when he goes, he will go with our blessing. And I do hope that it is at the end of the season to, to buy Munich. Um, if it's not, if it's January, then good luck to him. I'm sure he's got a, a cracking few years ahead of him because he's a, an astonishing player. And we you're are very missing, lucky. You're missing the win. point of when, you know, when we go on this huge surge through the season, getting the Champions League ourselves, um, we won't need to sell Polina to a Champions League. Dan, how many beers have you had today, mate? None, actually. It's very concerning. No. Should have had, it should is have very had concerning after comments like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan knows, and we should. Uh, I am a horrendous lightweight. Um, so uh, that's why I don't drink very much on football days, if possible, because I like to try and remember the match. So we mm. were talking about the team sheet, but I thought it was important to. Um, yeah, offer those comments when... as you as you discussed them. So there was no gel, which meant that it was Reed and Kearney, and TC only lasted fifteen minutes. Al, and that was when I really worried. But he took the bold option of putting putting Luke Harris on, um, and I really yeah. liked that because Luke Harris did really well, um, and it was the attacking option. And Marco Silver is like one of those people. If you went to the casino with him, with him, he'd put all of his chips down on what you know. He'd just be like, "Yeah, I'm going to go for it," and that yeah. might be good for your bank balance or your heart rate, but it is bold, and I love to see it. Yeah, and you know what you're going to get with Silver, but he has this ability where all good managers do is he has that ability to not only get the best out of a, a player, but to take him to the next level. Now, I have no problems him putting Harris in after 15 minutes at the Etihad. I have no problems with any substitutions he makes because, you know, they're going to be well-drilled. They're going to know their job and, he, and they're going to give 100%. Um, it is a lot to ask of him to, to come into a game where we're not going to have a lot of the ball. Harris is obviously brilliant with the ball at his feet. He's been asked to play a different way today. And as you said, I thought he did a brilliant job. Uh, it's just a shame it's... <laughs> he 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 come on at probably the hardest ground in the world at this moment in time. He had a good chance in the second half. I think we were four one down. I don't remember how many goals it was at that point. I think we were four one down, and uh, Raúl Jiménez does exceptionally well to play him in, and he just missed. He just scuffed it a little bit, uh, I mm. think, and and it was a rather easy save for Edison. That Luke still hasn't scored a first team goal. It's coming. I, I'm I'm sure it is. Just the only other the, the things that. Uh, Reem, Reem for uh, Bassi um, might have surprised a few people. He was in my lineup, uh, but I don't think he'd have been in many other people's. And of course, he scored the equalising goal. Probably, I think I could have scored that one out. <laughs> Did you want me to comment on whether you could score that goal or yeah, not? Absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you would have scored that, Dan, even myself. And, um, I think Freddie would have loved to have that opportunity at the Etihad. But um, it, it, we, an immediate impact, which is what we needed, especially you go one nil down at the Etihad. Uh, and yeah, it was well-deserved. It's the only second goal in a white shirt. Hey. So uh, is it only, only his second Premier League goal? He scored against Crystal Palace, against QPR. He's got four, uh, I think. I said Premier League, Dan. Oh, did you? On my apologies. 
<laughs> my apologies, because of course QPR are not Premier League. No, not by any stretch. Yeah, yeah no, and they, they won't be for many years to come. Well, I think they won today. We need to have an investigation into match fixing at the uh, Riverside Stadium. If Talking about match fixing, did actually win. I think we, I think we need to get into that second goal. Dan. I just want to talk about the, uh, the 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 corner routine for our goal, um, because we saw a lot of set piece goals when the year we went up from the Championship with the blocking and the you know very very clever sort of training ground moves. And there were a couple in the Premier League set-piece goals. We're quite good at set-pieces. And here was one, Pereira. Raul Jimenez does really well in front of the near post. Um, there's defending from City is shocking. And there's Tim Ream, you know, to tuck it away. And it's a nice, you know, nice to see Fulham able to do that off the training ground. Uh, but yes, I've said it now. So I'm going to let you tell me because... Uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, uh, if I talk about this goal, I, I, I might we might get taken off the air. So go on, Al. <laughs> uh, the problem is we have, right, that when uh, Aki heads the ball, it's, it's a kanji that's in the uh, offside position, isn't it? Uh, now, he's he's had to... If, if the ball touches him, it's offside. So the only way he can get out of the, the way of it is by jumping over it. But the fact he's in that position in the first place and he has to do something with his body to not to stop himself from being offside tells you he's interfering with play. Now, as soon as Aki makes contact with the ball, Leno has to make an extra step. So it's not in, all in one movement. So he's definitely interfering with play. Um, Erling Haaland actually came out and said that it was offside. It should never have stood, which I thought was a nice touch. Not that it matters after losing 5-1 anyway. He could have missed but... a penalty if he was that bothered about it. <laughs> the worst thing is, though, it was the timing of the goal as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. It It's sort of, you're sitting there and you're going, well, if we can get in at half-time at 1-1, regroup and, you know, play it by every 5-10 minutes. And then who knows, we may be able to get something out of the game. But to concede a goal, any goal before half-time is isn't great, but to concede a goal like that when I really don't understand how it's not ruled out in, in any, in any age. No, no. Um, it's the, 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 the one thing I would say is I don't understand how Ake, Ake seemingly has got a free header there. Just, you know, it looked like a free, I mean, he ran onto it and he seemed to have loads of time to head it. And I mm. think that if you're looking at it from a, sort of we need to stop this goal going in, then that is something that we need to look at. But so that is true, but then if you look at the second phase of that corner, Mm -hmm. sorry Dan. The second phase of that corner, the whole defensive line is is pretty much in line with one another. So the second phase of that corner, I have no issue with. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I I have an issue with allowing someone to win the first phase sort of unchallenged. Yeah, right? no. Because that shouldn't happen, right? The second phase, I mean, there shouldn't be a second phase, as you pointed out, because in old money, that's just offside. I mean, you know, I was a goalkeeper because um, I fielded in the slips in cricket and it was basically the only place I could be on a football pitch. Um, and uh, I had decent reactions, but I couldn't kick the ball, really. So I was never going to be an England goalkeeper. I might have been a Scotland goalkeeper because I've qualified for Scotland, but we'll we'll leave that for another podcast. Um, um, but, uh, 
yeah, you're absolutely right in what you say because Leno has to judge uh, and prepare for the fact that the ball may hit Akanji or anyone mm. else for that matter. All right. But once Akanji, so he's making an effort to, we don't know, we can't tell what he's doing. And it's not for the officials to judge his intent to play the ball. Once mm. he moves out of the way of it, he's interfering with the act with, with the course of events because it's not only the goalkeeper who has to uh, do something different; it's the defensive line that's in front of him because effectively they're 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 there. They know they've got a strong offside line. If he touches it, he's offside. But he goes to play yeah. the ball, and then he decides not to play the ball, and it ends up in the goal. And yeah, he has to move out of the way of the ball. He has to jump and over how's it. How's the goalkeeper meant to save it if he only he doesn't know what's going to happen until the ball's gone past Akanji? Yeah, and I, when they did a VAR check, because as you know, I was in the home end um, today. When they did a VAR check, everyone around me, um, and I put on my best Chilton accent, which I won't repeat for this podcast, um, and I survived. Um, but most of the people around me knew who I was, so it was fine. But they all said, oh, it won't be it won't be allowed because he's interfering with play. And I was like, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I've been here before this season. Um, and the longer it went on, I thought, well, what are you looking at? What are you trying to do here? It's obvious. Um, and there is a broader point where, you know, we've had these decisions before. Um, Everton felt they should have had a goal on the first day of the season. I don't agree with that. Um, but it's, it, 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 I guess it is contentious. Tarkovsky handles the ball uh, in the second half. Apparently, that's not a handball. OK. Um, then we have the situation against the Hounslow uh, public transport liaison officers who couldn't beat Bournemouth at home today. Um, they got a penalty for... Uh, 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 I still don't understand how that was a penalty and also how, how Ream got sent off. Apparently we've got an apology for that. We're top of the apology league for certain um, because, <laughs> because Bassi then gets sent off against Arsenal. He should have definitely a second yellow card. The first yellow card is uh, waiting for Martinelli to get out of the box. So the person who should be booked is Martinelli and not Bassi, but we know the referees don't know the rules. And this one is ridiculous. Um, and then we'll move on to the second half, where we actually started quite well. Uh, Bob's cuts in and has a little shot, and we're sort of trading blows with Manchester City, but you know they've got another gear. I mean, Jack Greenish wasn't even in the squad today, and the people they brought off the bench, like, you know, they'd get in the, the you know, I reckon 18, 19, probably every other Premier League starting lineup, And it was just sort of a matter of time, uh, Holland, I don't think so. Holland hadn't scored at this point. Am I correct with that? He made the first goal for Alvarez, mm. and then Holland did score. Um, and then the penalty. I see Marco saying, "I'm not sure that's a penalty." I mean, it's soft, but we talked about this. Do you want to talk about Kevin De Ballet from last year? Yeah, it's, I've seen it back about four times, and it's not a penalty. You don't think it's it a penalty? Isn't. No. No, okay. I don't think this Diop's made hardly any contact whatsoever. If you watch it back, Alvarez is smart. Yes, he buys it. But the, I, I still don't see that much contact. It's it's extremely minimal. 
it's probably as much contact as it was on Ream and Wisser a few weeks yeah, but that, ago. That's a penalty, mate. Sorry, sorry. Like, like this is, this is what I'm saying, right? If we're going to a situation where any contact is a penalty, then don't breathe on anyone in the penalty area. Okay, it's because... just, it's just ridiculous because the the way you like to define a penalty is, especially against a club like Man City or Arsenal, or whoever, especially the big six, is would that have been given at the other end? And the answer is no. Well, let me try you on one. In the first half, after about twenty minutes, Harry Wilson oh. goes through. You know, you, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Harry, Harry, Harry Wilson goes through and he gets pulled back by the neck. Yeah, who was, was it? Diaz had his arm round um, Wilson's neck. Oh, I think so. He, I mean, yeah. yeah. Right, but that wasn't even a free check. I don't think was it? No, yeah. nothing was given. It wasn't even checked. It can't be checked. It's outside the box. But that's but the a, problem. Is there? That's a red card, mate. But this is it. It's it's a free kick on the edge of the box. It's a red card. It's nil nil, and it's a carbon copy of of last season. There's no way that game ends five one if if he's sent off after twenty minutes. And who knows? We may have scored us. We, we may have scored that free kick. I'm not saying we would have, but we may have. Yeah, it's and it's so just it's just frustrating. Dan, I, I do have Freddie here with me actually. Oh, sorry, Freddie. Yeah, uh, just Freddie, I'm going to ask you. How frustrated are you by some of the decisions that we've had this season? And today's there's been two, which has been really bad. Uh, well, the first one should have been a free kick. Yeah, free kick and a red card. And a red card, and the second one was the offside. Offside. The offside. He when we was watching Gillette's special, they um they said. Because the person who was reporting the game was... Uh, Dawson, wasn't it? Yeah. And Mike Dean was in the uh, studio as well, Dan. Oh, what did Mike Dean say? He said there was... Um, was Something no... interfering. And it should never have stood. Yeah. And the... Who, who was the... Yeah, Dawson and Mike Dean both said the goal should never have stood. It's ridiculous that it stood. Um, and Chris Boyd was in there as well, and he said, um, the goalie should save it. It's like, well, come on, there's an ex ref oh, sitting he? in the studio. Chris Boyd, oh, okay, okay, Chris Boyd's <laughs> going to be the funny man on Soccer Saturday now, is he? All right, I seem, to, I seem to remember Chris Boyd missing a lot of open goals for Scotland. That's okay. Uh, well, he, get, he was left out of the Scottish team for Chris Ewalumu back in the day, so he needs to yes. sit down a little bit. <laughs> but no, Mike Dean and Michael Dawson—they were both adamant. The goal's not standing. It, it can't stand. It's it's not allowed to stand. And then, well, twenty seconds later, it was um, ruled as a goal. And yeah, it's 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 just frustrating. And Silva is just going to lose the will to live sooner or later, isn't he? It's frustrating for us, but where he's been booked every game, he's Didn't he, get he has to be again today. I don't think he did. Well, because, yeah, the referee waves a yellow card and I couldn't see who he was. I think it was at Robinson. I couldn't yeah, see. Yeah, there was a few, that, a couple got booked just for half-time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I after the season. Marco, Marco definitely goes up to the referee and I was like, yeah. no, Marco, no. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's, Louis Beaumont is going to have to take charge now. But then again, he's not allowed in the technical area when Silver's standing up. So uh, 
As I said to you before, the idea that Louis Balmorte is the calm, sensible, mellow face of Fulham Football Club is is quite funny to me. A worry as well. Well, yeah. Um, (laughs) I did want to finish the uh, the podcast by um, paying tribute to Mohamed Al-Fayed, Alan. What would you like Mm. to say about um, Mohamed Al-Fayed? Because there's a lot to cover. Um, my, my, my takeaway is that Fulham simply wouldn't have been playing at, at Manchester City today were it not for Mohamed Al Fayed's ambition, investment, consistent support of the team. Um, and it's a very sad uh, day for everyone connected with Fulham Football Club or weekend, obviously, as he passed away on Friday, isn't it? It is. Um, just. Just for me personally, I've been going Fulham since the age of three. Um, so that's, what, 29 years now. Child cruelty, and, yeah. Huh? It, it is definitely child cruelty. But um, I had the pleasure, like I'm sure most Fulham fans have, of meeting him. The first time I was actually a mascot, I was six, seven years of age. It was a home to Preston. And before the game, we were having a little kickabout on the pitch and he used to walk around the pitch before games throwing a scarf around and then he actually said to me do you want to walk around with me I was like "Eh? yeah okay and uh, we've all got our own memories of Mo you are right we wouldn't have been playing Man City today I dread to think where we would be today as a football club if it wasn't for the the fine man he he had a fantastic innings Uh, 94 is a great age he he is Mr Fulham if you like uh, there's, there's not enough words to to express just <clears throat> just how important he is to our club's history. Uh, and I think the best thing we can do as a football club now is to honour him as much as we can by renaming uh, either the Hammersmith End or the Riverside Stand under Sir Mo. And and yeah, j- just just thank you is probably the the one word yeah. or one phrase I can use when I. Talk about Mohamed Al Fayez. Oh, one hundred percent. It is slightly a complicated legacy for for Mohamed Al Fayez because there was that period in the middle of his tenure where he decided to try and sell Craven Cottage to himself. Um, yeah. But the important thing about that is he listened to the fans. He took us back to Craven Cottage, and we then went on to have probably the most remarkable period. It will definitely the most remarkable period in Fulham's history. Uh, I would just say as well, we were on the up when he bought the club. You know, Mickey Adams had got us promoted. Um, and I think Mickey Adams was probably harshly treated at the beginning yeah. because you're not telling me Ray Wilkins was a better Fulham manager than Mickey Adams, not in a month of Sundays. But let's talk about the fact that Mr. Alfie had had a plan to get Fulham from the second division to the premiership in five years, and everyone said, oh, that's ridiculous. He's a nutter. And they did it in four, right? So in the he was Fulham's chairman for 16 seasons. Twelve of those were in the Premier League, um, which is a club, which is a record for Fulham at the time that he left. Two of those four seasons outside the Premier League, we won a, a, a title, Um in uh, 98-9, wasn't it? We won the second division under Kevin yep. and we absolutely stormed it. That was a great season. Um, then 
in uh, obviously in 2000, 2001. I mean, we had that Paul Bracewell season after Keegan left to be the England man. It didn't really work with Paul Bracewell, to say the least. And then he went and got Jean Tigana. Um, absolutely uh, outstanding managerial appointment. We romped the championship, or what is now the championship, the first division. And I always remember that day at Old Trafford, the first day of the following season. Because, you know, we brought Van der Sar, we brought Steve Marbronk, we had Louis Sahar, and Louis Sahar scored twice at Old Trafford. And there was a guy in front of me who was just in floods of tears after Louis Sahar scored the first one. And we asked him, are you all right? Are you all right? Because it looked like you're really upset. And he was just like, I followed Fulham to some dumps all the way up and down the leagues. I've taken my daughter and my daughter's like 18, 19, 20. I never thought this would happen. I never thought this would happen. Um, and, and, let, and of course, he established us in the Premier League. Not only did he do that, in the first, that first season, we got to the FA Cup semi-final. Then we went we into... Did. We won the Intertoto Cup. Let's not forget about that. We won it one time. And then we went into the Euro, to the uh, what is now the uh, Europa League, but the, the UEFA Cup. And, of course, he continued to invest in the team. And we got that fabulous team under Roy Hodgson, another magnificent managerial appointment um, after we, he recognised that Laurie Sanchez was an idiot, frankly. Um, and he got Roy Hodgson... And the rest is history. And I, I, I would just say there's a generosity to Mohamed Al-Fayed that many people may not have seen. But I think all Fulham fans saw it. You spoke about your own interaction with him. Many young mm -hmm. people loved children. And obviously, he was deeply affected by the passing of his own son, Dodi, um, very early on in his time as, as Fulham chairman. Um, but he was very generous. Uh, obviously with his money and Fulham wouldn't be where they are um, today without him. Um, and yes, absolutely. We need to say thank you to Mr. Al Foyed and we need to pay trip. We need to keep his family, his devoted family man, his uh, children um, who survive him uh, in our thoughts. And I know the Fulham fan base will keep singing that song that originated as a protest song Take me home, Alfred. There's also one that we can't sing on this podcast. Well, we can, but we won't because it includes a naughty word about he wants to be a Brit and QPR are, you know. Rubbish. Um, yes, quarter pound of rubbish, indeed. Um, but he, he made us dream, Al. And the Brit thing, the great, we all dream about things and most of them never come true. But we're in the Premier League. And he also, very importantly, managed to convince another billionaire to invest far too much of their own money in Fulham Football Club. You know, Shahi Khan bought Fulham Football Club. And I do think it was, I was walking away from the Etihad today thinking, you do need to play a game of my billionaire is slightly better than your billionaire <laughs> to be playing in the Premier League at the moment. Um, so thank you to, to Mr. Al-Fayed. Um, and I'm sure we will honour him uh, at the Luton game because it's very difficult to honour him today what with the train strikes and and you know the sadness of it um, mm. but I hope he'll be um, fondly remembered because there are some some, pro some problems with, with Mr Alfred's legacy not least the bizarre decision to institute a statue for Michael Jackson 
um, as well. But, but that statue, though, Dan, it was never meant for Craven Cottage. Well, it yeah, was well, meant for it was meant for Harrod. So let's uh, we we won't mention that. <laughs> no, no, but what I'm saying is we've now got a statue of George Cohen where yeah. Michael Jackson once was, and that's fantastic. And yeah. I would just like to say that Mr. Alfire brought back, brought took Fulham back. You know, Fulham was always a fashionable, illustrious club, and we'd never really won anything. And we've won some things now. They may mm. not be major trophies, tie from AFC TV. I heard you, son. Yeah, you would have seen that clip. On AFC TV, Alan. Where yeah, he's, he's a fool, isn't he? Well, he's just I, a fool. I've met Robbie Lyle. I've worked with Robbie Lyle previously, and his his brother Laurie actually um, worked with me at, at Ealing Council. Um, and uh, big respect, actually, for you know, because of course um, Fulham's chairman bailed out Woolwich Arsenal as they were back in the day. But yeah, you know, Mohamed Alfayed gave Fulham back. Um, their place in English football's elite, and let's never let's never forget that. And I would like to add um, a couple of other things, Dan, if I may. Of course, mate. Um, when he when he left, the, all of our debts under him was was to him. Now he sold the club debt free. Um, not many clubs are sold nowadays debt free. Um, we do owe a lot to him, anyway. But most importantly, he knew how to run a football club, and if we could have a part of him now, I think we'd be a lot better off in our current situation. Um, purely because there's a, a like a snippet going around Twitter of some of the words he uses, a phrase he used. As an owner of a football club, you have to be passionate, you have to be committed, and you, and most importantly, you need to be involved. And it feels like now nowadays, especially as we sit here today talking about Man, the Man City game, we don't feel as if the owners are as involved as perhaps they could be is probably the best way to put it. And I'm not slating the cards here. I'm not completely doing that. Um, I, he just knew how to to bring everyone together because we are a family club. We always have been. We I don't think be we'll a ever be club. Well, I worry that um, some some uh, members of our family are being priced out of. Well, what, this is it. Watching Fulham at Craven Cottage, and yeah, you know, that, that is regrettable. What I would say about. Uh, Mohamed Al-Faidis, he was always there. Even though, this is it. even though after he didn't get his British passport, he was only able to spend 90 days, I think, in the United Kingdom. He was always yeah. there. If he wasn't there... He used to fly in from Switzerland, didn't he, on his uh, helicopter? You were surprised, right? If he wasn't there, everyone was like, where's Mohamed Al-Faidis? Yeah, and then you'd you know? worry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and the thing is, he may not have known everything about football at the beginning, but he appointed people who did know how to run a football club. And he was very intolerant. And I speak from personal experience. You know, I was banned twice from Motspur Park, Craven Cottage, oh, and also three times, once from Loftus Road as well, for things that I wrote as a youngster about and, and spoke about in respect of the Back to the Cottage campaign. He was very intolerant of people who didn't do the job, right? If you didn't do the job for Mr. Alfied in any kind of way of, his any of his businesses, you wouldn't last very long. Um, so well, you you couldn't buy a Fulham shirt anywhere else other than the club shop either. Well, there he, was he that you could go in Harrods for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think there's just some things 
he was a very good businessman as well. You know, yes. there are some colourful parts to Mr. Alfie's legacy that we don't have time to, uh, and I wouldn't want to opine on, frankly. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, we are, I think we're at a tipping point for the ownership in, in the current ownership in terms of the, the fan base. Um, I, I just asked them to to back Marco Silva, you know, if they're going to have yeah. the chance to back Marco Silva, because I wouldn't blame Marco Silva, not, not just with the ownership, but with the referees, with everything that's going on, what chance does he have, right? Um, he has the potential to be the best Fulham manager in the club's illustrious history. And what he's doing with half a squad is exceptional. Um, and I hope we don't look back and regret letting Marco Silva go. You said it on 9320, because I only listened to it this morning. You said that we had people like Slavisa Jakanovic. We had people like Roy Hodgson. We, we've had good managers and we've let them go, or we haven't backed them sufficiently enough um, in the past. I hope we're not sitting here in May or in uh, next August talking about we've let Marco Silva go because it will be someone else's game if we do. And I, I, I know the ownership and the, the hierarchy of Fulham Football Club are aware of this. Um, but I think failure to invest in the squad was a very disappointing transfer window. We'll have to do that on another podcast, Alan. But we, we've yeah. got a couple of minutes. Go on. We haven't really, because we were optimistic Doing the do 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 we when we recorded the uh, Bayern Munich nil Fulham one podcast yesterday, we thought we'd get a lot of players in, and we, we may we may have been wrong, Alan. <laughs> That's not for the first time. No, um, but yeah, just to see Iwobi come in and the uh, left back from AC Milan, very uh, underwhelming. There was a, an article today that came out, and apparently Silva wasn't too bothered about getting a, another number nine in because he's he's happy with Raul. We are very short in specific areas. We need to rely that the players can stay fit. I think having no Paulinia today, losing Kearney early on, making Harris come in and play an unnatural role to him <laughs> at Summer at Man City just goes to show just how light we are. Um, but you are right. Silva, I can't see him being at Fulham this time next year. And it, it pains me to say because again, I think you're right. He could he could potentially be a, our most successful manager if given the backing. Now the owners at this moment in time need to make a, de- a decision with themselves. They're either going to back Silver and back the cause, back back Fulham. If you're not, then they need to then start looking elsewhere in terms of well, a say, new potential. Sorry, mate. All I'd say is. The thing about Mr. Alfired is nobody was in any doubt what Mr. Alfired thought because he said it frequently. He said it when he shouldn't have said it, right? Um, Frequently, he got into trouble for saying things that were certainly um, interesting, shall we say. Um, We don't hear from the ownership of Fulham Football Club and the, the key figures often enough. So we have to interpret things read between the lines, speculate, guess, estimate. You know, it's a privilege, I think, to be the custodian of Fulham Football Club. But I think the last few days have shown us that 
maybe the players don't love Fulham Football Club as much as we do. We can't expect them to. We, the ownership, you know, owners come and go. We're grateful to our owners, but I think why Mr. Alfred's passing has, you know, hit us all or made us think about it is because he was a terrific owner of Fulham Football Club. You know, I don't know where we'd be. You, you mentioned it. We'd probably be in the third division. It may even be worse. We may not even have Craven Cottage anymore. We may have had to sell it. You know, it doesn't bear thinking about, about, does it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, then, Al, um, shall we say that uh, things can only get better in respect of um, the PAR and refereeing decisions, or is that too optimistic? It's probably too optimistic, to be honest, Dan. But just on a reflection, because it is the international break next week, if you was offered four points out of the first four games, considering that was Man City away, Arsenal away, Everton away, and Brentford at home, you would have taken it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have done. And the, the frustrating thing is we could have had more. Um, but I feel like they're not the, the results are not a true reflection of what's happened. You know, we could have beaten Arsenal, for instance. We could have got something today even though that's a sort of free hit we've got a good result at Everton um, even if we didn't even if we had to graft for it and even the the game against the the uh, what did I call them the public transportation warriors um, <laughs> they they you know they benefited from the rub of the green so yeah absolutely I'll t- well, we take it we move on we've got Luton we've got an international break and we can uh, regroup and go again because we are the whites. So, Al, thanks very much, pal. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to Freddie as well for uh, his sterling little cameo there. Very kind of Luke Harris-like in the way he took it by the scruff of the neck. Um, Can I just ask him quickly, Dan, before we go? have got about 30 seconds, pal. But quickly, Freddie, in 10 seconds, are you happy with the first four games of the season? We could have been better, but it's a good result. Yeah, very good, eh? All right, we'll be back (laughs) very soon. Come on, you whites.